Part 1, Section 4 of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremy Cat. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy, Section 4. When young Mark heard a soft tapping at his door, though out of bed, he was getting on but dreamily. It was so jolly to watch the mountains lying out in this early light like huge beasts. That one, they were going up, with his head just raised above his paws, looked very far away out there. Opening the door an inch, he whispered, Is it late? Five o'clock. Aren't you ready? It was awfully rude of him to keep her waiting, and he was soon down in the empty dining room where a sleepy maid was already bringing in their coffee. Anna was there alone. She had on a flax blue shirt, open at the neck, a short green skirt, and a gray-green velvety hat, small, with one black cock's feather. Why could not people always wear such nice things and be as splendid-looking? And he said, you do look jolly, Mrs. Stormer. She did not answer for so long that he wondered if it had been rude to say that. But she did look so strong and swift and happy-looking. Down the hill, through a wood of larch trees, to the river and across the bridge, to mount at once by a path through hayfields. How could old Stormer stay in bed on such a morning? The peasant girls in their blue linen skirts were already gathering into bundles what the men had scythed. One, raking at the edge of a field, paused and shyly nodded to them. She had the face of a Madonna, very calm and grave and sweet, with delicate arched brows, a face it was pure pleasure to see. The boy looked back at her. Everything to him, who had never been out of England before, seemed strange and glamorous. The chalets with their long, wide, burnt-brown wooden balconies and low-hanging eaves jutting far beyond the walls, these bright dresses of the peasant women, the friendly little cream-colored cows with blunt smoke-gray muzzles. Even the feel in the air was new, that delicious, crisp-burning warmth that lay so lightly, as it were, on the surface of frozen stillness, and the special sweetness of all places at the foot of mountains, scent of pine gum, burning larch wood, and all the meadow flowers and grasses. But newest of all was the feeling within him, a sort of pride, a sense of importance, a queer exhilaration at being alone with her, chosen companion of one so beautiful. They passed all the other pilgrims bound the same way, stout square Germans with their coats slung through straps who trailed behind them heavy alpenstocks, carried greenish bags, and marched stolidly at a pace that never varied, growling as Anna and the boy went by. Aber Island is nicht. But those two could not go fast enough to keep pace with their spirits. This was no real climb, just a training walk to the top of the Nouvelau, and they were up before noon 
and soon again descending, very hungry. When they entered the little dining room of the Cinquatore hut, they found it occupied by a party of English people eating omelets, who looked at Anna with faint signs of recognition, but did not cease talking in voices that all had a certain half-languid precision, a slight but brisk pinching of sounds, as if determined not to tolerate a drawl, and yet to have one. Most of them had field glasses slung round them, and cameras were dotted here and there about the room. Their faces were not really much alike, but they all had a peculiar drooping smile and a particular lift of the eyebrows that made them seem reproductions of a single type. Their teeth, too, for the most part, were a little prominent, as though the drooping of their mouths had forced them forward. They were eating as people eat who distrust the lower senses, preferring not to be compelled to taste or smell. From our hotel, whispered Anna, and, ordering red wine and schnitzels, she and the boy sat down. The lady who seemed in command of the English party inquired now how Mr. Stormer was. He was not laid up, she hoped. No, only lazy, indeed. He was a great climber, she believed. It seemed to the boy that this lady somehow did not quite approve of them. The talk was all maintained between her, a gentleman with a crumpled collar and a puggery, and a short, thick-set, grey-bearded man in a dark Norfolk jacket. If any of the younger members of the party spoke, the remark was received with an arch lifting of the brows and drooping of the lids, as who should say, ah, very promising. Nothing in my life has given me greater pain than to observe the aptitude of human nature for becoming crystallized. It was the lady in command who spoke, and all the young people swayed their faces up and down as if assenting. How like they were, the boy thought, to guinea fowl, with their small heads and sloping shoulders and speckly gray coats. Ah, my dear lady, it was the gentleman with the crumpled collar. You novelists are always girding at the precious quality of conformity. The sadness of our times lies in this questioning spirit. Never was there more revolt, especially among the young. To find the individual judging for himself is a grave symptom of national degeneration. But this is not a subject. Surely, the subject is of the most poignant interest to all young people. Again, all the young ones raise their faces and move them slightly from side to side. My dear lady, we are too prone to let the interest that things arouse blind our judgment in regard to the advisability of discussing them. We let these speculations creep and creep until they twine themselves round our faith and paralyze it. One of the young men interjected suddenly, Madre, and was silent. I shall not, I think, it was the lady speaking, be accused of license when I say that I have always felt that speculation is only dangerous when indulged in by the crude intelligence. If culture has nothing to give us, then let us have no culture. 
But if culture be, as I think it, indispensable, then we must accept the dangers that culture brings. Again the young people moved their faces, and again the younger of the two young men said, Madre. Dangers? Have cultured people dangers? Who had spoken thus? Every eyebrow was going up, every mouth was drooping, and there was silence. The boy stared at his companion. In what a strange voice she had made that little interjection. There seemed a sort of flame, too, lighted in her eyes. Then the little gray-bearded man said, and his rather whispering voice sounded hard and acid, We are all human, my dear madam. The boy felt his heart go thump at Anna's laugh. It was just as if she had said, Ah, but not you, surely. And he got up to follow her towards the door. The English party had begun already talking of the weather. The two walked some way from the hut in silence before Anna said, You didn't like me when I laughed? You hurt their feelings, I think. I wanted to, the English Grundies. Ah, oh, don't be cross with me. They were English Grundies, weren't they, everyone? She looked into his face so hard that he felt the blood rush to his cheeks and a dizzy sensation of being drawn forward. They have no blood, those people. Their voices, their supercilious eyes that look you up and down. Oh, I've had so much of them. That woman with her liberalism, just as bad as any. I hate them all. He would have liked to hate them too, since she did. But they had only seemed to him amusing. They aren't human. They don't feel. Some day you'll know them. They won't amuse you then. She went on in a quiet, almost dreamy voice. Why do they come here? It's still young and warm and good out here. Why don't they keep to their culture where no one knows what it is to ache and feel hunger and hearts don't beat, feel? Disturbed beyond measure, the boy could not tell whether it was in her heart or in his hand that the blood was pulsing so. Was he glad or sorry when she let his hand go? Oh, well, they can't spoil this day. Let's rest. At the edge of the larch wood where they sat were growing numbers of little mountain pinks with fringed edges and the sweetest scent imaginable, and she got up presently to gather them. But he stayed where he was. An odd sensation stirred in him. The blue of the sky, the feathery green of the larch trees, the mountains, were no longer to him what they had been early that morning. She came back with her hands full of the little pinks, spread her fingers, and let them drop. They showered all over his face and neck. Never was so wonderful a scent, never such a strange feeling as they gave him. They clung to his hair, his forehead, his eyes. One even got caught on the curve of his lips and he stared up at her through their fringe petals. There must have been something wild in his eyes then, something of the feeling that was stinging his heart, for her smile died. She walked away and stood with her face turned from him. Confused and unhappy, he gathered the strewn flowers, and not till he had collected every one did he get up 
and shyly take them to her, where she still stood gazing into the depths of the larch wood. End of section four from The Dark Flower. Recording by Jeremy Cat.